Hey folks, I'm really excited to share a special offer with my listeners today. Skip the trip to the pharmacy each month for your birth control. Get free delivery with free goodies. Yes, free, like Haichu, which are super tasty, chocolate, tea, and even more. Never run out of birth control again. <laughs> That's a big deal, y'all. Get Pandia Health Peace of Mind. Pandia Health makes sure no one runs out of birth control on their watch. Pandia Health brings you a pain-free birth control delivery right to your door. I know one of my biggest fears was making sure that I had my birth control prescription scheduled just right so I could pick them up before I ran out of pills. Ugh, seriously, never again. But now Pandia Health is here to help you out with free delivery of your birth control pills from the only, the only women and doctor founded, women and doctor led company in birth control delivery. Already have an active prescription at a pharmacy and insurance to cover the medications, Pandia's health delivery, automatic refills, and a reminder to see your primary care physician each year. Those services are completely free. If you ever need a doctor consultation because you want to change the method of birth control or the pills that you take and you don't have an active prescription, it's just 29 bucks once a year to access Pandia Health's expert, passionate doctors for the next 364 days. You save the trip to the pharmacy each month, plus you save the trip to the doctor to get your birth control prescription. Pandian Health can deliver to all 50 states. They take almost all private insurance, except for Kaiser. They do take family-packed PACT, which is also wonderful. Pandia Health is about care, convenience, and confidentiality. Head over to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and sign up now. Now, don't forget the code. You get some money off if you get the code Sex Talk with Erica. That's Erica with a K. And you get $5 off the doctor consultation if needed. Because I'm a curious person, I had to ask about the name and I find it pretty cool. Pandia Health comes from the Greek goddess of healing light, full moon Pandia. Pan equals every, dia, day. Pandia Health has you covered each day of the year. It's called the Pandia Peace of Mind. Y'all, go check it out. Sex talk, Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sex just isn't good enough. No, sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have a treat for you all. This is uh, OG mentor for me when I started my work in Washington State. I am bringing you Zita Nickerson, certified sex therapist, certified sex educator, kink knowledgeable therapist, located in Washington State, licensed in not only Washington, but Idaho and Colorado. Y'all are lucky to have her today. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Our relationship started in Washington. And I remember Yes. When I was in grad school, because I I went to the same program Zita did, but or later than than she did, and 
I came to her when I was start starting my interest in sex therapy and my interest in becoming a sex therapist that could could serve the community and and I remember you telling me how important the work was and how important you just you lit up and you lit me up so I want to thank you for that well I'm so happy that you got into it it's so needed especially around here when you yeah when you were doing it and I'm sure you found that too as you got out of grad school and further into your career I'm sure you found that how oh my gosh yes (laughs) (laughs) across the in the northwest in particular there's not a lot of people who who do this work there there is more so in in seattle but between like the more rural areas of spokane county some of the more like stevens county and all of those areas between there and you essentially said chicago there's not a lot of people who are doing this work No, no, there's really not. I know that Sexploration comes out of Missoula, Montana. But however, I really don't think there's anybody between here and Chicago or, you know, we're the only one between Seattle and Chicago. It just blows me away. And so guess what, folks? We're talking about sex therapy in rural areas today. <laughs> We're talking about how when you live in a, a small area, how difficult it is to find providers generally, but then specialized providers, it's sometimes absolutely impossible. Yes, it is very impossible. Yes. <laughs> like that is the full full stop. And I, I think I think I don't know if it's still the case, but the last I heard there was like one psychiatrist in Wyoming or less because people leave rural areas because oftentimes because they get so overloaded or they they struggle to find places to be able to do services for clients. Yeah, and I think that brings up a good point too, is providers end up leaving. However, people who have like the financial means also leave for bigger areas. So not only is it rural, but oftentimes you're working with lower income, not exclusively, but lower income also plays a lot into that, especially in the much more rural towns, farming, mining. It's a different socioeconomic dynamics as well. Absolutely. I think that's a really important point. Like what it's like having been raised, I I was born in rural California. I mean, very rural. It's always funny to me when people say they're from a rural area and they have more than 10,000 people because I grew up in a community of less than (laughs) (laughs) 5,000. And in the areas you are, there are more people than that. But when I think when you're when you're in a place that is a bigger town with rural towns around it, it still does retain that sense of smallness. Absolutely. Because you still know everybody. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. And people know each other. And while word of mouth is great, there's always the question of a conflict of interest or will you see people out and about? What do you do in those situations? I mean, let's let's just let's jump right into that question. Like when you see clients in the grocery store, what do you do? And then what should a client do? I usually tell my clients in the initial appointment that, especially if I get a sense that they may be more geographically located or in the geographical region that I may frequent, I will usually tell them that I would be happy to 
talk to them if they confronted me or if they said hi to me. However, I would not be initiating any type of interaction with them. Maintaining confidentiality is important to me. So I want to respect that for them. And it's nothing personal. I may make eye contact, but sometimes I won't. But I'm happy to say hi, smile, talk to them if they want to initiate that. So I usually tell them that in the first appointment. And if it happens outside of that, outside of that discussion, most of them, again, in the rural community have experienced that. Most clients have experienced that. So have an understanding of that already. You are hitting something that many people who, especially who live in larger cities, th- this doesn't necessarily happen as as frequently. But two, I think many times well, I've had clients tell me that, you know, they'll get a little anxious about it. Like, what do I do? Or, or ha- ha- even have thoughts about, okay, what must this person think of me? They didn't say hi. So what the, must they, do they not like me? <laughs> Those questions definitely come up. And, and you put it beautifully that, that it isn't about you. It's actually us maintaining that you, you don't necessarily want every person to know that I'm your therapist. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. And if I'm out and about, say, with my family or they're with their family, I, I definitely want to respect their privacy. For sure, I don't want them to feel like they have to explain who I am or that I would have to explain to somebody else. I just want to maintain their comfort in that. Absolutely. And I think people people forget how risky it could be for someone to to essentially let someone else know that they're receiving any kind of mental health services like the LGBTQ community. Maybe they haven't necessarily come out to family. They're not necessarily going to want to advertise like, oh, this is the sex therapist I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that may yeah. Not, they may not have that freedom to do that. It might actually be a dangerous issue for them. Exactly. Or, you know, I'll have partners come in that they really are concerned about their partner knowing maybe that they do come in to see a sex therapist. And so maintaining that confidentiality is also important. I'm one who accepts insurance, but I have people come in who don't want to utilize insurance for fear of their workplace knowing, Mm -hmm. partners, family knowing, things like that come up for them. Absolutely. We're here to protect y'all. We're yep. not <laughs> we're not being mean, we promise. We're not snubbing you in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I think it's I think that's something not only for clients, but the other therapists, psychologists, you know, doctors who are out there listening to us. Like I think this is a really important question that we're not often talking about, especially in public, we're not talking about like how do you deal with a dynamic inside yourself when you face knowing the dirty laundry, essentially, of, of, of an entire community. You will hear, having worked in rural areas myself, like you will hear a story and you'll hear it from, you know, maybe five or six different people, maybe even in a day. So, so how do you deal with those dynamics inside yourself and how you see your community? Well, I think my first thought is it's important to perfect your poker face. 
No, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're watching for physical cues in your clients. They also notice that in, in you as well. So being good at that, I do get a lot of word of mouth referrals. It is a small community. So I do frequently hear about people that I may be seeing the next day or later that day. So for myself, though, I really work hard at when somebody comes in, I, I put out the rest of the world and see them as what they're experiencing, what they're wanting to discuss and really look hard at, at just their perspective and how that's affecting them and how they need to process whatever situation they're working through, regardless of who it's necessarily involving if I see them or don't see them as clients. So I really am okay, or I've become okay with hearing those stories, understanding that there's always two sides to a story or more, Mm -hmm. generally much more. And so that each person's perspective is going to be different and how that affects each person is going to be very different. And so I, I maintain that within myself. You are beautifully describing this 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 sense of 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 mindfulness, really. This sense of of slowing yourself down to be able to be present in the here and now with the person in front of you. And I, I bring that up because I think it's not it's it's a skill we therapists have to practice all the time. So it's something that we we know to do. But I think that this is something that often people who who maybe are clients or people out there in the world, this is actually a difficult skill to practice. Yes, it is. And 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 I've heard, while I take everything with a grain of salt in, in that, because I think people's, how they experience providers is a very individualized or personal experience. However, I have had people talk about their providers, their therapists, not being present, I guess, writing all the time, or I've had somebody talk about the therapist talking about their dog that's in the room. So it is important to be present. It is important to maintain your focus on what's going on to here in the now with that client. Absolutely. And when I think about how other people who are not necessarily therapists could attempt to try to do this is the next time you're with a friend, the next time you are with, uh, say, your partner, put down the phone. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not saying that in a way that, I mean, my tone of voice may have sounded a little judgy, but that's <laughs> because <laughs> I, I am tired of my phone. <laughs> I, with you there, with you there. <laughs> but it, it, it's okay to, to put away whatever distraction is in front of you and attend to the person who's sitting in front of you, even if you need to focus on, okay, this is what it feels like when I touch my own leg. Okay, now I'm back. I'm back here to the here and now. I can listen to the person in front of me and what they're actually saying to me. Well, yes. And on top of that, I think the other thing is, is, you know, we get so caught up in how are we going to respond? What are we going to say? How do we solve this? What do we, you know, what do we do to help this person or argue with this person? And so I think there has to be a really good balance in, yes, offering a suggestion, but 
not like being able to clear your mind of that so that you can be fully present with them and allowing yourself the time like that communication doesn't have to happen, you know, one, you know, immediately it can, there can be some thought into it, having that mindful communication and that mindful presence. Yes. Slow down, everybody. Yes. So you're just telling you, slow down. (laughs) Slow down. (laughs) Way down. It counts. It counts for sex too. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <Slow down. laughs> you can be present with your partners. You can. It, it is possible, and it just takes. It does. It takes this practice. Really, a lot of the times, I think what what you and I do, and we, what our colleagues do, is is teach people that very skill that you can attend to what's happening. And and ha- how do you think, um, or, or what do you say maybe with your clients when, when they are struggling to put other perspectives maybe outside of, of, of their current experience or, or that distraction of like, what do I say next or how do I fix this person? How do you kind of help them engage that skill themselves? I tell them that it's practice. And so say, for example, if I'm working with a couple, I have them both do, I'll use the Imago dialogue a lot and, and have them go through that so that there's, they're practicing putting out whatever response they want to give. And so whatever the topic is for them to just practice being fully present and to not have a response. And what I like about that dialogue is you actually are not responding at all. You're not giving a response. You are just, it's a form of reflective listening as well. I'm hearing that the Imago, for for the folks out there who don't know what Imago is, it, it is this kind of protocol kind of to be able to have a an active, more active, reflective listening conversation with a partner. Am I, am I picking yes. up what you're putting down? Yes. So there's validating, empathizing, and I'm not saying those in order, but yes, it is much more active, reflective listening. When a person feels truly heard by another person, how sexy is that? Very sexy. (laughs) (laughs) It provides a communication. It's what I love in therapy is to watch that moment when the person feels heard in by their partner, it's like, oh my gosh, like the light shine down on them. You know, it is just such an amazing thing to watch their feelings, their connection, because you can see it. It's you have a couple that are sitting on two different sides of the couch and they experience this validation, this empathy, this this then connection that you think, well, I know what they're doing when they leave here. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. We both easily will gush about therapy here because, you know, we we love what we do. And there is something to that, that when you have someone teach you to truly hear and see your partner in a different way, because let's be real, folks don't have a blueprint out here. Right. They don't. And they never learn it. Like, what, yeah, it's a, yeah. Who teaches this? <laughs> no, us. And when they get to therapy, it's not, it's no, exactly. you don't know how to do yeah. this from the yeah. time you're in school. You just don't. Right, right. And most people 
along that way of developing their relationships kind of they they bumble along right like uh, i'm gonna try this uh, i'm gonna try this and i'm gonna try this but none of this works because i don't you don't know where to begin yeah and and it's interesting because when when you see couples or individuals actually when they talk about their relationships when they see a, a point of conflict they don't really see it when you're growing up you don't really necessarily see I mean, conflict is maybe even just a small disagreement. You might see the beginning stages, but you don't really experience it as a whole. And oftentimes, you don't grow up seeing the entire resolution from start to finish of that. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said. And you're just hitting it all. Big surprise. This is my mentor, (laughs) y'all. When I watch folks start to come to terms with, oh, okay, yeah. And not only did I not have any idea how to manage any kind of conflict or talk about intimacy or talk about sex with anybody in my life, I also had no idea how to deal with the physiological experience of a conflict. Because even if you saw conflict, you experienced it in your own body. You didn't experience it from from the place of being in the conflict yourself. Certainly. And then also understanding how to deal with the physiological experience, but allow yourself to regulate your emotions. I think that's one thing that many people also don't experience is balancing the logic with the emotion. So then they are able to actually express what their needs are in that conflict in a way that is, you know, not defensive or not accusatory or, or doesn't kind of grow the conflict into kind of, or, or put it into a negative space. Absolutely. What do you think, like, just to bring this back to rural communities, what do you think is unique other than, you know, the grocery store dynamic? (laughs) What other things are unique about working in small communities and knowing maybe some of these folks pretty intimately? I don't know if it's necessarily unique, but oftentimes it's conservative. So I will say in this area and regionally, it's a fairly conservative area, fairly conservative region. So I think that presents in many different ways that are maybe more unique and and how that presents within relationships or within the counseling relationship. I think that's unique or something unique that I've come across. I think that's an important thing that you are bringing out that I think that when you work in specific areas, rural or not, honestly, it, you, it really impacts who, who you are seeing. I've had other colleagues who've worked in, like, say, Washington, D.C. So they actually have, like, Congress people come through their office. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you mm-hmm. work rurally, you're much more likely to maybe maybe you get the maybe you might get the city council person, or the or the county council com- or the county commissioner, <laughs> but you're <Yeah>. also getting, <laughs> you know, the folks that you know like the teacher from your kid's high school. Yes, and th- there's a few people who who you will get that are closer to a congressman or, or at that, but that, you know, at that level, but that's fewer and further between. And I think you do get more of the high school, you get more, I mean, there's definitely, as I said before, a different socioeconomic status. 
that piece of it, the socioeconomic status really matters because, and, and of course, of course it matters. It, like, <laughs> but it, it really does impact how the interaction and the dynamics happen between the therapist and the client as well. At least their person, potentially their perception, the client's perception of the therapist. Certainly. And I think there's, you know, when you're working in a more rural region, most people rely on their insurance to cover their medical services. Like that is very important. There's, there's not the means or as, as much of the means to be paying out of pocket as, as much. Now that's not across the board, but it does. And so there is a relationship that you build with them. And, and that includes the financial aspect. And that can be tricky as a therapist because these are people that you also know of the community and know what they're experiencing. There does have to be some, not necessarily discussion, but some awareness of that. You know the neighborhoods that they may be living in or would like to live in or the schools that they're going to or teaching in, as you said, and and you have a greater awareness of what that looks like. And so maintaining that and not letting it affect that therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what you're what you're saying is that this dynamic between the therapist and the client needs to be addressed. And as uncomfortable clients, the folks, you folks that have never been to therapy or or are thinking about therapy, us talking about this kind of gives you that window into this is what it's like. And we're more than likely going to bring this up in session. (laughs) We're more than likely going to put this on the table because oftentimes people are not familiar with what healthy relationship dynamics look like. I would agree with that. And I would venture to say that in the more rural communities, the more conservative communities that are rural, the relationship with a healthcare provider may not come with as much trust. Yeah. And so it does take a lot to build that trust and a lot of time and a lot of understanding. And again, going back to being present, there's, you know, a small town. People don't want people to talk. And maybe that's been their experience. And so building that trust as a, just as a health professional is important. And so being able to bring that up as well. It's incredibly important. I was just thinking back as you were talking about this, I was thinking about not only having, having been the, the client myself, but also ha- having been the therapist in the, in the rural community, there wouldn't have been trust built easily if i didn't have a sense of what of what their existence was like the the trust would have been difficult to build if i didn't understand what it was like to have to butcher your own animals if i didn't know what it was like to be an ffa for long periods of time and growing or up or 4h or 4h, 4H. yeah like <laughs> Those are experiences that are very, very specific to living rurally. And it's not necessarily like better or worse, but it is an experience that does shape how you see the world. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and there is a little bit more um, camaraderie that's developed when people know that you have gone through some of that experience. So, so for example, my grandfather was a rancher in Wyoming. So having the experiences 
being able to discuss those experiences in my childhood opens that trust level up a little bit. So there's that awareness like is important. Yeah, absolutely. And when we don't consider that, that's when we, we lose, people are less likely to show up in therapy. So all of you out there go to therapy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you can, you can, you can trust us. We're not going to tell uh, your grandma when we see her in the grocery store. I promise <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> and I think for the, for the therapists that maybe in rural communities or the providers, I think the big, the key to this is a more humanistic approach. I guess that would sum it up um, as a, is a, much more humanistic approach than one might take in a, in a different setting. Mm -hmm. Being able to zoom out and see the entire umbrella of a human being is like gold standard. Zeta, you're a rock star. I do want to ask a question that I think is important to tackle because I think sometimes what I think sometimes people will think about uh, people who live in rural communities is that they don't necessarily participate in different types of relationships, like ethical non-monogamy. And I actually saw the exact opposite when I've worked in rural communities. I've seen a lot of people participate in polyamorous relationships or like ethical non-monogamy where they've made arrangements. Can you talk about that myth a little bit that conservative communities don't engage in this stuff? <laughs> I think my biggest thing would be to say it's a huge myth. <laughs> it's a huge myth. It's absolutely a myth that it doesn't happen. It's a myth that people are not involved in kink. And while there's different dynamics that play out in a more rural, smaller town kind of mentality, it's not like they're, you know, if they're in a non-monogamous or polyamorous relationship, they may very often have continued interactions after that relationship may end or uh, go a different direction. So it's very common to have to learn how to navigate the ending of a relationship while also knowing that you're going to be seeing that person fairly frequently. Yes, you're talking like my entire high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It is. It is very much like that. <laughs> In a graduating class of 113, like you oh were just goodness. not, you were just not going to miss. You were not going to, like, you were going to see that person again. Like there was just no. Right, right. There's no avoiding any of that. <laughs> and, and you're going to see them dating other people too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have to deal with your feelings around that as well. So yeah, you do have to, you definitely have to learn how to navigate that relationship. And then sometimes I do work with people who are also involved in infidelity situation. And so in a small town, that's very different as well. Absolutely. Y'all who, who've, who've lived in small towns or who live in, in uh, Washington, Idaho, and Colorado, and it sounds like maybe some other states might be coming along for, for Zeta to be serving here. We both serve people online. So those of you who are needing help, please feel free to reach out. So how do, you know, how do people find you in the world, Zeta? Most often through my website, www.north.com nwsexualcounseling.com so northwest sexual counseling 
And also, she is part of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. So if you're if you are looking for a kink knowledgeable knowledgeable therapist in those states that we talked about, um, that is another place that that Zeta is listed. Yep, under the CAP directory. So the kink aware professional, I'm I'm listed in the directory there. Fantastic. And I think there's a few other organizations, but I wouldn't be able to name them. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally fine. The Google will help you (laughs) and everything will be in the show notes, folks. Zita, you are a blessing to me and I so appreciate you being on the show. Oh, certainly. I'm happy I could be on. I'm very happy. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around to the end and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. That helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.